Well, a few months ago, I was mesmerized by Ed Sheeran. Hey, we got an Ed Sheeran fan in the room. Uh, just to be clear, it was Ed Sheeran's Disney Plus documentary. And prior to watching that, I'm not sure I could name three Ed Sheeran songs for you. Uh, but I found myself one night with some free time, uh, and I decided, for whatever reason, to click on the Ed Sheeran documentary. Um, I think he's talented as a, a songwriter and a singer. Um, but watching the documentary, uh, I was struck by what I didn't know about him. Uh, if you don't know Ed Sheeran, he's a musician, pop star, musician, singer, songwriter, celebrity. Uh, but I didn't, know, I didn't know about his personal journey. And so he, he put together this documentary, and the, the, the thought was, I know, I'll invite this film crew to follow me to pump up and hype my new album and my new tour. And what he didn't realize is that he was inviting this film crew to document a really dark season of his life. So as the documentary shows, right around the time that his tour began and his album was released, his wife had some major health scares. His best friend, Jamal, who also was a creative in his own right, he suddenly committed suicide. So his best friend died. And then he was sued. He had lawsuits around copyright infringement for some of his songs. So basically, right around the time of this documentary, his whole world came crashing down. So here's what I saw as I watched the documentary roll on. A real human being struggling with wave after wave after wave of grief. He had to watch his wife face serious health issues, to face the loss of his very best friend, to face the uncertainty of legal challenges. And so he copes the best way he knows how is just to write songs and sing songs and perform them. So at one point in the documentary, he's up on stage and he's doing an acoustic set at the iconic Union Chapel. And he's singing these songs that no one has heard before. And they're raw and they're real. And he's processing his grief. He talks about the crazy year that he's had. He talks about his best friend dying. And he just breaks down. He starts weeping. He can't control it. And it's awkward on stage at times when the person who's supposed to entertain you starts being human. And he goes on, he sings his new, one of his new songs. It's called Dancing With My Eyes Closed which is this really haunting song. The line is, I'm dancing with my eyes closed because everywhere I look, I still see you. And it's to a nice, kitschy beat. But he's describing this human experience of being haunted by still seeing his friend everywhere he looks and everything he experiences. And he's crying, and he's in pain, and he's trying to entertain. And then he ends his set by singing Amazing Grace, a cappella. And he says, I didn't plan on doing that, but it just came out. He confesses that when his friend died, he wanted the world to stop, like it did for the queen when she died. But he realized that it didn't. 
And so the result is this guy, a super talented singing guy, (laughs) and he's being human, and he's grieving, and he's in pain. And here's what Ed Sheeran knows. Some things aren't easily fixed. Some things aren't easily fixed like a broken bone. You ever broken a bone before? Finger, arm, leg. I had a season through middle school, high school. It was brutal. But here's the good thing about a broken bone. You just put a cast on it. You, put it, you slap a cast on it, and a few weeks later, you take, they cut the cast off, and your arm's healed. Guess what? There's no cast when your friend commits suicide. There's no cast when you lose your job. There's no cast when your family member suddenly has a disease that you don't know if it's going to kill her or not. There's no cast for a broken heart. And there's some of these experiences of life that are so painful and so dark, it leaves us scrambling, grieving, at times crying, weeping. What do we do? Well, the good news, like, and this is a really depressing sermon, Paul. The good news is, is there, there may not be a cast for a broken heart, but there is a ladder. That sounds weird. Let me explain. Open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 27. Genesis 27, verse 41. We've been in this series for, in, in chunks for most of the year, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and looking at these uh, men and women of faith and their journey and their story of trying to respond to God and know God and follow God, Abraham and Isaac, and now we're looking at Jacob and Esau, their lives. Today, there's a ladder that shows up in Jacob's life when he really feels like the world is closing in around him. Here's the story. We'll just dive in. Genesis 27, verse 41 says, Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away. Is there one more or not? Nope, that's my fault. I left the end of that off. Verse 45, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you've done to him, then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? So this, this story, again, we're, kinda, we're picking up where we left off last week, but this story is a really dark story and it finds Jacob in a really dark spot. Again, Jacob is the younger brother just by a hair. His brother Esau, the twins. Jacob, son of Isaac and Rebekah, grandson of Abraham and Sarah. Jacob spent a lot of his early years in life living up to his name. Jacob means supplanter, heel grabber, trickster, deceiver. He came out of the womb grabbing his brother's heel. At this point in the story, he has already swindled his brother for the family birthright in exchange for a bowl of soup. Last week, we saw the story where he tricked his 
older, elderly, blind father out of the family blessing by dressing up in goat skin. And because of his deceit, their family is being ripped apart. I mean, it was already fractured, but now it's being torn. And because he ripped off his brother from the family blessing, his brother Esau wants to kill him. He's so angry with what has gone down, he is ready to kill. And so word gets out how angry Esau is. The mom finds out what's the plan. And as we read, then she goes to Jacob and says, you need to get out of here. I don't want to lose you both. So, so I need you to leave and go back to my family, go back to my brother's place, to Laban's house. And hopefully this will all calm down. So that's the plan. Jacob is then going to pack up in a hurry and run. He's going to run for his life. And here he goes. Genesis 28, verse 10. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. So he leaves. Jacob's journey has begun. Not only is it physically taxing, but emotionally so. He's leaving home. He's leaving the place that he knows. He's leaving his father and his mother. He's leaving the promised land. He's leaving the family blessing and birthright. He's leaving everything behind. And so here we are now as the story goes on, verse 10 and 11, uh, Jacob's really nowhere. It says that he's come to a, a certain place, a certain unnamed place, unmarked place. There's no river there to say, oh, it's by the river this. There's no city there to say it's by a city there. There's nothing else to set it apart. He comes to this certain place in Nowhereville. And he's left home. He's left his family. He's in the middle of nowhere. The sun begins to set. He's officially a wanderer. The sun goes down in the desert. Like the story kind of goes from bad to worse. Having his brother angry at him, leave his family. He's wandering in the middle of nowhere and now it's nightfall. What comes out in the Middle Eastern desert in the middle of night? I don't want to stick around to find out. It's quite the scene. And then kind of the cherry on top of the story of despair, on top of the no good, very bad day that Jacob is having here, he comes to crash. He comes to fall asleep. And guess what he has to sleep on? A rock. Sleep number rock. Now, I'm a pillow guy. I'm officially old enough now that when I travel, I bring my own pillow. Yeah, I'm that guy. Because for me, there's nothing worse than a bad pillow. Like, there's nothing worse than sleeping somewhere and then, like, being tweaked for three days and having to go to the chiropractor. That's usually my experience. So I pack my own pillow. Jacob, at the end of his emotional day of travel, leaving his family, wandering around in the middle of nowhere, it's nightfall. Darkness has literally set on the horizon, and now he's time to go to bed, and all he's got is a stinking rock. 
So if you take the framing of the story, the way the author of Genesis tells the story, this is a story of darkness in every which way. My brother wants to kill me. I may never see my parents again. I'm leaving the land of promise. I'm geographically reversing the course that God had told my grandfather to go. It's dark. So, just so that we're all on the same page, when you've experienced these kinds of season in your life, what are the things that begin to go through our mind? I'll be honest, here's, here's the stuff that goes through me, through my mind. All hope is lost. I'll be in this place forever. I'm being punished. I'm forgotten. I'm overwhelmed. Things are always going to be this way. Or the theological versions of those, God doesn't care. God isn't doing anything. Where are you? He's way up there and I'm way down here. All hope is lost. Or some version of that for yourself. Have you ever noticed that our vision isn't always very clear in the midst of the darkness? So what happens? Well, literally a little slice of heaven. Verse 12, it says, and he dreams. So he lays down on the rock and he dreams. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Sounds familiar. It's a repetition of the promises spoken to Abraham many years before. So, in this scene, in this experience, Jacob curls up on his cozy rock, has a dream, and it really is a a remarkable scene, a remarkable dream. The author tells us to clue in on a few things. I want to talk about the components of the dream and then the conversation that's had in the dream. First, the the components of the dream. There's three components in the dream. And and the, the clues, the author says, behold, three times. The author wants you to behold the behold things. So behold, he says, a ladder. Behold the angels of God and behold God himself. The three components of the dream. First, a ladder. There's a ladder. Now, again, I'm not sure what comes to mind as you picture a ladder. Um, when our church used to meet at the Carnegie Building downtown, we had one of those really old, rickety wooden ladders that were like steps on one side and just a pole on the other side that was like climb at your own peril. Uh, you can go to the next slide real quick. I think, I think this is Rembrandt's version of Jacob's ladder, really ladderish. Um, some scholars would say that it's probably not like a ladder, 
maybe more like a flight of steps or a stairway or a ramp, however you conceive of it, the idea is, is clear that there's this connection, stairs, pathway, ramp between earth and heaven. So there's this ladder. And then we're told that the, the second thing to behold, they're angels, messengers of God that are ascending and descending, going up and down, this connection piece between heaven and earth. Now, I'm not sure if you can see this one as well, this rendition of Jacob's Ladder. I'm not sure who the author or the painter of this is. But they always love to put these angels as chubby little babies, naked chubby babies. Uh, most angels aren't naked and chubby with bows and arrows that shoot people. That's cupids. These angels are these angelic beings, and I think oftentimes when people in the scriptures encounter the messengers of God, they're terrified. And the reason why I know that these angels are often impressive, imposing beings is because most often the angels come and their message is what? Don't be afraid. So there's a reason when they show up that everyone usually falls on their face when they freak out. Um, that's why I'm guessing it wasn't chubby little babies because that's not very fearful. You wouldn't need to be afraid of them. But these messengers of God connecting heaven and earth, ascending and descending. And then the third part of the dream is God himself. Yahweh, not just any God, not one of the pagan gods, not a generic God, but the covenant God of Abraham and Isaac. He's there. And I'll say he's somewhere on the ladder. We read uh, from the ESV. The ESV says that he was there above the ladder. Uh, there's a footnote, um, depending on how you translate that. He could be seen beside him, beside Jacob, so that maybe he came down the ladder. Um, I won't split hairs on that. But here's the scene. Ladder. Angels, messengers of God. And then God himself shows up. Now again, those that have read the, the scriptures were like, oh great, God's here. I want you to think about the scene from Jacob's perspective though. He's just ripped off his brother twice over. His brother wants him dead. He's the one who has been lying and deceiving and tricking and doing his part and then God shows up. My guess is his first response was not, oh great, good, God's here. My guess is his first response is the response that you and I have when we're driving the freeway and we see the red light and blue lights light us up in the back of the rearview mirror and your eyes immediately go to the speedometer and your heart skips a beat. Because now here he is, and now God's here. And he's got to be thinking, uh-oh, <laughs> maybe now it's all kind of come to roost. But God shows up. God is on the scene in the middle of nowhere after the sun has gone down in the cool of the desert night. What does God say to him? Jacob's like, am I in trouble? Will he kill me? Is it payback time? What's the verdict that the God of the universe is going to bring to me? Here's what he says, Genesis 28, 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go 
and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Again, verses 13 and 14, um, again, are this recapitulation of the promises that were given to Abraham so many years ago, but then the kind of the summary version of it here is this message that God shows up in a dream with the ladder and the angels, and God comes and he says this threefold conversation. He says, hey, Jacob, I want you to know as you're running away from your family, and you're in the middle of nowhere, and you don't really know where you're going or how you're going to provide for yourself or how you're going to survive, but I want you to know this. I've come in a dream on the ladder with the angels in this moment so that you won't forget this. I'm with you. I will keep you. And I'm going to bring you back to this land. And those are some beautiful words that God shows up to bring to the swindler, to the deceiver, to the trickster, to the guy who's been ripping off his family. I love these statements because they speak to some specific fears for Jacob. First, Jacob is lonely here. He's all alone. He's just left home. He's hated by his brother. As you know his story, he's been virtually ignored by his father for most of his life. And there's only one person in his life who unconditionally loves him, and that's his mother. But she's not there. She's way back home. And God steps in when his loneliness is at an all-time high in a very uncertain place, and God says, I'm with you. Jacob, I am with you. Hey, Jacob, I am with you. Jacob's also vulnerable. He's running from a brother who's trying to kill him. How far do you think Jacob went before he stopped looking over his shoulder? When did he feel like he was far enough away to stop wondering if Esau was there? I would have had a hard time sleeping that night thinking that I would have woken up to Harry Esau looking over me, ready to kill me. So God says, I am with you. And he also says, I will keep you. He's also in this place where from, from a possession standpoint, he's left everything behind. He has nothing. He's left behind all the things that were promised to him, given to him, the blessing, the birthright, the land, the resources, the wealth. And God says, I will bring you back to this land. This is huge. What is God like when God shows up in the desert evening, in the darkness of night, and the ladder comes. Is he there to crush him? Is he there to punish him? Is he there to kill him? Is he there to exact revenge on him? What a gracious God. Merciful, faithful, good, loving, God rehearses the covenant promises 
spoken to Abraham, and now he gives them to the wandering cheat. And he shows up in a really weird ladder to connect the realm of heaven to earth. So what does Jacob do? How does he respond to this scene, to this dream? Verse 16 says, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Here I was. I just thought I was wandering through the middle of nowhere. But I'm actually at the gate of heaven, the house of God, and God is here, and I didn't know it. couple things, if I could summarize the ahas that are happening in Jacob's world and in Jacob's life and in his mind and his realization. First, he discovers, like, God is actually closer than I think he is. He's here. Surely God is in this place. And I didn't even know it. I would have thought that if this was, like, I was around God, I would have known it. And here I am, and he's here. I didn't even know it. God's closer than I think. Here I thought I was all alone. Here I thought I was all by myself. Here I thought that I was in the worst possible place I have ever been in my life, in my lowest low, in my darkest dark. And guess what? God's here. Maybe I was wrong after all. Maybe he's not just a fairy tale. Maybe it's not just a family story where God shows up for my ancestors, but he doesn't show up for me. Maybe God is closer than I think. How many times do you think Jacob had heard the stories around the dinner table? Remember that time when dad went with grandpa on the mountain? He's going to kill him? And the, do, you, do you remember how many years they waited in barrenness thinking, and then grandma, at a, like she was, how old was grandma? Oh my goodness. How many times had he heard the stories? but then you begin to think that God is only going to work for them, but not for me. Maybe God's closer than I think. Another thing he discovers is that God is more active than I think. Right? As, as Jacob goes to bed that night, he thinks, his assumption is my life is a lost cause. That's it. It's over. So the sun is setting and darkness closes in. It looks like nothing's happening. Like on the surface, nothing is happening. Nothing good is happening at least. But what he comes to realize is, is that in the midst of all of this stuff that looks like tragedy, that God has been at work all the time. And that God is actually more active than I think, doing things that I cannot see, at work in ways that I cannot comprehend. And just because I can't see it doesn't mean that God is not at work. Who initiates the dream? God. Jacob's not asking for a God encounter that night. Jacob isn't seeking God. He's not begging. He didn't go to bed that night having watched the latest episode of The Chosen with a deep, heartfelt prayer to God. He hadn't just done his quiet time. (laughs) All he's done is rip up his family and run away and threat his brother killing him, and God shows up. 
<laughs> He's not asking for forgiveness. He hasn't cleaned things up. He isn't seeking in repentance. He isn't pouring out his heart about his lifestyle of deception. He's not there yet. He hasn't hit rock bottom yet. And still, God is more active than we think. But God, some of the best statements of scriptures, but God, while we were dead in our trespasses and sin, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, but God, rich in mercy, God pursues, God initiates, the ladder appears and God comes down. All Jacob's doing is sleeping. Maybe God's more active than I think. Which leads to a third aha for him. It's like, maybe God is better than I think. Maybe I've got him wrong. In verse 17, we're told that Jacob is afraid. And I would say, again, rightly so. He's afraid. He's having an encounter with a holy God. I probably would fall on my face. But what does he say? He's like, how awesome is this place? This is amazing. This is the house of God, the gate of heaven. This is awesome. And something begins to shift. Again, Jacob is not, he hasn't arrived yet. There's more in the story, more problems, more pain, more twists and more turns. But something is beginning to shift in his life and story. And this lonely, wandering outcast from a family is suddenly begun to be filled with some curiosity and hope and excitement that maybe actually God cares about him too. And that God is pursuing him too. And that God could actually fulfill his promises to him too. And that he hasn't outrun the hand of God and he hasn't outsinned the grace of God. Maybe it's the engagement. Maybe it's the words of promise. Maybe it's the I am with you. I will keep you. I'll bring you back. Maybe it's the rehashing of the promises spoken to Abraham. But in the midst of his darkest dark, this light from heaven breaks in. And heaven touches earth. And earth is forever changed. And it gives us a glimpse of how things ought to be, that it's possible that maybe something could change. Now, you may be thinking, oh, that's nice for Jacob. That never happens for me. Too bad that ladder isn't always up between heaven and earth because you don't know my story or my pain or my darkness or my sin or my situation or my difficulty. You don't know my story. It's nice that it happens for Jacob, but man, I would kill for something like that. Too bad that ladder's been put away. Jacob's ladder. Oh, has it? We'll end with this today. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 1. So many, 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 many years later in the New Testament, 
This is a story from Jesus' earthly ministry where he calls a couple brothers to follow him. First, he calls Philip, who gets super excited about the possible Messiah, and he tracks down his brother, Nathaniel. Says Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Really interesting statement. Jesus has never met the guy. Jesus says, Ah, an Israelite. A true Israelite. Who's Israel, by the way? Anyone know? Jacob eventually gets his name changed to Israel. And then comes the 12 tribes of Israel from him. So, ah, I see. A true Israelite mindful of our Genesis story. Ah, an un-Jacob. Not a deceiver, not a heel grabber. Ah. And then he goes on, verse 48. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So at first, Nathaniel is impressed with Jesus without a conversation. and He bursts out in this worship and praise and says, truly, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. That's quite the response. And Jesus says, oh, really? That impressed you that I saw you under the fig tree? He's like, you ain't seen nothing yet. If that was really cool, check this out. He says, if that impresses you, you will be blown away by my ultimate work. In verse 51, Jesus says one of these, truly, truly, or like old King James, verily, verily, I saith unto you, What does Jesus say? You will see heaven open and you will see the angels of heaven ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Does that ring a bell? Yeah. This is Jesus grabbing the story that we just were in today from Genesis 28. He's like, oh, you want to see something special? This is going to blow you away. You're going to actually see heaven open, heaven and earth connected again, angels ascending and descending. This is Jacob's ladder 3.0. And it's not just this ladder that was there in a dream and disappeared one desert night, but now you're going to see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. On me, Jesus says. Jesus says, I am actually the better Jacob's ladder. I am Jacob's ladder. I am the one who reconnects the realm of heaven with the realm of earth. I am the one who makes a way between the realm of God and this created world. My life, my death, my resurrection actually deals with the separation problem that has plagued you your entire life. Jesus says, if that's impressive, check this out. You will see Jacob's ladder in me. And later in the Gospels, in the resurrection, you actually see that take place. But heaven and earth in Jesus, no longer two disconnected places, but now brought together through the life and ministry of Jesus. God undoing the curse of the fall through the resurrection of Jesus, making a way again, bringing light into darkness. 
so that just like Jacob, but in an even greater way, we can receive and realize God's forever covenant promises to us. Forever. Like if you wonder, like, man, I wish that ladder of Jacob's was still propped up for me in my life. Jesus says, I am that ladder. And I have done it all through my life and death and resurrection so that you may experience God and the life of heaven here, now, through, and in me. So that it may be true that God is actually closer than you think and that God is actually more active than you think and God is actually better than you know him to be because of Jesus. Not just ancient promises given to Abraham's family, but now through Abraham's descendants embodied in Jesus, now extended to us pagans, non-Jews, who have been grafted into the covenant promises of God that you may experience the life and the fullness of God through the finished work of, of Jesus too. Jesus came that you may discover for yourself the active work of God. All other ladders in life will fail. All other ladders will fall. Your attempts to climb to God, be good, get your life together, do enough good things, figure things out. All other ladders will fail, but the better ladder of Jacob comes to bring the life of heaven to earth. The Christian faith is not about a ladder that you climb to make God happy or to reach him one day, but it's about the stairway from heaven where God initiates and God comes down and finds us in our lowest place, in our mess, in our despair, in our confusion, in our heartache, and offers himself to us free and fully. Pastor Tim Keller said, Jesus didn't come to show us the steps, but to be the steps. And he is the steps. And he does show us the steps too, but he is the steps for our lives. So when Jacob realizes what's going on, here's his response, the very end of the story, verse 18. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it and he called the name of that place Bethel, house of God. But the name of the city was Lutz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all of that, all of, and of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So in a nutshell, he takes the stone, pill, uh, the stone pillow and he makes it a pillar, and he anoints it with oil, and he worships God in that place. This random, unknown, infamous place becomes renamed Bethel, house of God. And with some caveats, if God takes care of me, I'll follow him, he'll be my God. And he worships freely. And again, as I've said, Jacob isn't now forever fixed. He's going to have his challenges and his difficulties, but this is a definitive step and a definitive place where the wandering, runaway liar experiences God breaking in to his darkest place of need. And there's hope. 
and there's freedom, and there's worship. And through Jesus, the offer again is offered to you. Like, what if? What if God is closer than you think? And what if he's actually more active than you think? And what if he's better than you dreamed? And somehow in the grand narrative of the world story, that he brought you here today to sit in that uncomfortable black chair because the God of the universe wants you to know him and he wants to breathe hope into your pain and your darkness. And maybe you've lost a friend or you've experienced the medical tragedy or maybe you've lost your job or there's relational strain or maybe there's just darkness that seems to just kind of carry over you. What if the God of the universe is is at work and he hasn't abandoned you? And what if Jesus has come today to, to draw you closer to himself and he wants to open up your eyes so that you'd be like, oh, wait a minute, God is in this place. I didn't even know it. I thought I was just sitting in Olympia. I thought I just went to church this morning. But like, what if God is here in this place because he has something to offer you in himself? And all he wants from you is the yes of faith. And he wants to somehow encourage you today that he's with you. And if you're someone here who has never yet come to experience Jesus by faith, would today even be a day where today, on this day, I said yes to Jesus to follow him and to receive from him. Or maybe you said yes to Jesus decades ago, but it's been dry and stale and dark, and you need to remember that he's still at work and he's still good. Maybe he's trying to encounter you right where you are in this moment today. Can I pray for you? Uh, Lord, we thank you for these stories. Yes, ancient. Yes, so long ago. And yet, uh, they speak to us by your Holy Spirit. To to the the disorientation of grief like an edge here in. Or maybe it's just the dryness of our dull day today. Lord, nothing else will work. No one else will satisfy. No ladder is able to be climbed. So we're thankful for your pursuing grace. We thank you for Jesus that his offer still stands today. And I pray, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, would you break into this space, this world, this moment, these people, our lives. God, we don't need just clever tricks. We don't need dull morality, boring church. God, we desire to encounter you afresh today in our lives, with our story, with our pain. Jesus, would you come, Holy Spirit, work, that our eyes would be open and we would turn to you again today in hope and faith that you are who you say you are. Lord, may your promises ring, your promises of never leaving and forsaking, your promises to keep us. 
Your promise is to bring us one day back with you. I offer my friends to you all across the spectrum of faith. But may they respond one step more today toward you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.